0: Listening to Rootbound, a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside.
1: Rootbound is brought to you by Scarlet Begonias. Tell someone you're not like other girls with Scarlet Begonias tucked into your curls. If you're not always right but never been wrong, try Scarlet Begonias.
0: Hello, my name is Steve, and thank you for listening to another episode of Rootbound. You know, I was having the thought that uh, probably not everyone listening knows the definition of the word rootbound, uh, so I thought I would read the definition here from miriamwebster.com. And that is, especially of a potted plant, having roots formed into a dense, tangled mass that encircles the inside of a container and that allows little or no space for further growth. So, have you ever had a potted plant that when you took it out of the pot, the roots were just completely curled up around, uh, and it's almost like you had a a a copy of the pot, but in root form? That is root-bound. And if you have a root-bound plant, you need to give it more space. You need to give it a bigger pot, or you need to put it into the ground. But the problem is you can't just put it in the the bigger space. You also have to free the roots up. You got to, you know, get in there and work them out and, and, and pull them apart from each other so the roots are free. And that way, the plant can actually start spreading its roots and growing and becoming the plant that it wants to be. And so that's what root bound means. And I I chose to name root bound because of that joke of being stuck inside and a plant is stuck inside. And, and uh, this is a show for about plants for when you're stuck inside. So, I thought Rootbound would be appropriate. So, anyway, that's the definition of Rootbound, if you didn't know. And that's the name of the show. And for those of you who might be new listeners, uh, I'll talk a little bit about how Rootbound works. How it works is after I give my intro here, like this, I bring on a guest, and that guest tells me something about a plant that is meaningful to them. And then I tell them about a plant that is meaningful to me. And through that process, we all learn more about plants and learn more about each other. So, it's that time to talk to our guest. Here he comes. Regarding the practices of his art, he should know all the vulnerary herbs. He should know all the tissue-forming
1: remedies. He should know all the essences.
0: So, my guest on this episode of Root Bound is my friend Dave. Hey, Dave.
1: Hey, Steve. How are you?
0: Pretty good. Do you have a plant you want to share with me?
1: Yes, I do. Um, I want to share uh, the plant that I chose today is lavender, um, oh. which is uh, the genus lavendula, of which there are 47 variants.
0: Oh, wow. That is, okay.
1: uh, yeah, that is my plant of choice today.
0: Very yeah. good. And did you choose a specific uh, species from the genus lavendula, or were we talking about the genus uh, altogether?
1: Basically, like there's really... There, so they say 47, but actually it's a little, what I found is a little inconsistent that there's a couple of other websites and a lot of other things that say there are 12 and then there are 47 and then there are 24. Like the numbers seem to be all over the place, but like the main kinds that are really like the most famous would be the English lavender or the, uh, lavandura angust folia. Uh, okay. my Latin is, I took one or two quarters of Latin. So, you know, my lat- my Latin is not great. Um, and, uh, oh, and you I'm might not going to on
0: this episode. podcast. You might be the best <laughs> uh, Latin speaker in this podcast so far though. So,
1: and, uh, I'm saying I'm using the V instead of the W. I don't know if you know about the, uh, you know, W versus V, uh, Latin pronunciation. Oh uh,
0: yes. Yeah. I did know that.
1: And um I actually right. spent a lot of time researching which one I should do. And I decided I'm just going to go with the V. I don't so, know. What the- so what
0: was the word again? Lavender.
1: D- lavendula but you would actually want to say lavandula yes lavandula mm-hmm. um and then um but uh, uh lavender actually would be lavandura so lavandura uh, like yeah uh-huh okay yeah and so um yeah and uh, and that comes from like Lawandura is actually means to wash uh, no well, it's it's kind of comes from the latin word lavare la- la- or lavare i guess which means mm-hmm. to wash Oh yeah. Um,
0: okay. Yeah, that's yeah. a root word, like in the several languages. That's like a and like lather probably comes from that word. Yes. I bet. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, theoretically, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and um, like the the funny part too is like uh, lavare la in Spanish is like that's the first person singular future tense for that means basically like I will wash in mm-hmm, Spanish, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. as an accent at the end in Spanish. So you know, make sure you right, write that right. accent or you will get marked down on your test. Yes. Um so yeah, so uh, I found that funny. I don't know if yeah. other people will. I hope they do.
0: Uh um, so so the lab Lawandura what was the English English one's um the species name?
1: The main one, and I'm gonna be talking about two, but the main one, uh the Lawandura angustifolia, which is is Latin apparently for narrow leaf.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Um and that's the kind that you would think of. That would be more like the fields of lavender that you would imagine, like on the English countryside, mm-hmm. you know, um, I can imagine it. Yes. And uh, which is a little bit different from the Spanish lavender, which is actually the kind of lavender plant that I have. Um, and that is uh, La Wondura stoecas. I'm going to go ahead and say that's how that's pronounced. S-T-O-E-C-H-A-S. Okay. Which is, uh, yeah, which actually is, it apparently is derived from old Greek. It means rose. And um, the Romans actually called that type of Latin, sorry, the Romans actually called that type of lavender, um, Lavendura dentata, because the the spike at the end, essentially the bud of that plant, uh, I guess it resembled teeth to them, you know? Okay. So, but yeah, those are like the two main kinds. Of lavender, And that's, you know, I guess I'll focus on those because there's a lot of variants on those. But those are the two like main ones. You
0: know? I yeah, I think I, I've i I've think I knew that there was two like main kinds. I have two lavender plants in my garden. I don't know which they are. So maybe this will help me determine what they are.
1: Basically, um, the the one that we have is this I'll just call it the spanish lavender just to make it easy uh, the spanish lavender which is like literally the only plant i own <laughs> that is out on my balcony um, it the difference is it, to me a stalk kind of looks like like the 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 stems kind of look like rosemary you know okay mm-hmm. yeah it mm-hmm. looks like wild rosemary growing and then it has uh, one spike usually at the top and I, I'm motioning all this as is very good for, I always say this, uh, you know, it's very good on a podcast to make sure that yep. you use a lot of hand gestures. Cause it really communicates that to the people listening. Um, but like the, you know, the, butt at the top, essentially to me, it almost looks like it has like an umbrella coming out of the top. Like it's like almost a, uh, like a, like a torn, like an upside down umbrella coming out of the top, you know?
0: Oh, so, okay. Um, uh-huh.
1: Yeah. And, uh, and they're very purple, uh, the spikes on these ones, you know, or I don't know if you call them spikes or buds. I don't know. I'm not, the I am flowers. not a plant person. Yeah. Flowers. Sure. Why don't you <laughs> say that? <laughs> yeah. Steve, um, you're the expert. You sure. Know, yeah. So. No. yeah. <laughs> Far from it. I'm just the dude who owns a lavender plant. Um, but yeah, so that's, I think the difference, whereas the English lavender is a, um, I don't know. It doesn't have the same, uh, it doesn't have the same kind of upside down umbrella thing at the top. Um, and oh gosh, how can I explain it? They, they almost look to me, I guess this might be completely way off, but they almost look almost like, like lupins or something like that. Like more of like a, a wild flowering oh. plant. I don't know. Uh, but the Spanish lavender is mostly what you would see growing in a garden, like alongside roses or alongside other flowering plants. They, they grow real, real well anywhere. So, okay.
0: Okay. Yeah. I probably have those. Neither of mine have flowered yet, so I have not ah. seen. It's just the leaves at this moment.
1: Um, it is. Uh, actually, hours um, took. I'd say hour. Me and my wife. Um, you know, hours took because we're not plant people. My my wife's actually like a plant person. Her father is a um, like an avid gardener, and that's just like his entire life now. Basically, is just he just lives in his backyard and is always you know growing stuff, and that's where we get a lot of our advice from. And stuff like that so but uh, I am I have a uh, you know literally no talent for growing plants you know and um but uh this one took us about two years I think to finally blossom and it finally blossomed earlier this year
0: oh so wow congratulations I'm very,
1: very excited that yeah I finally grew something that lived and, and flourished so to speak so
0: so yeah. are, have you been um utilizing this lavender that's on your balcony at all
1: well, basically the, the Spanish lavender isn't really, and, and I didn't know this before we got it. The English lavender is the one that that's what, where the essential oils come from. You know, when you get like lavender scented perfume and essential oils, it comes from the English lavender actually, which by the way, is not English. It was brought to England by the Romans. It's like, like most, uh, um, uh, like most lavender it's Mediterranean, you know, uh-huh. or, uh, uh-huh. you know, Italy, Spain, France, um, and that area. Um, but it, it, it basically ended up there. And just, it grew very well there because it's a hardy, hardy little plant, you know? Um, and so it grew very well there. And then it, it sort of adopted the term English lavender. That's the fragrant one. That's the one that you can smell that has a stronger odor. And that's one where they get, when you diffuse essential oils, that's from the English one when mm-hmm. you, uh, uh-huh. yeah. And, um, and same thing with perfumes, when you think of lavender perfume or lavender soap or whatever, it's from the English one. Uh, the Spanish one is more decorative, you
0: uh-huh, know, okay.
1: uh, but in terms of utilizing it, it attracts a ton of bees. Once they flower a little Attracts a ton of bees, uh, and a lot of hummingbirds. Hummingbirds oh, cool. really seem to like this plant. Wow. You've seen bees
0: fun. and hummingbirds out there on your yeah. lavender. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, how big fun. is your, how big is your lavender?
1: Not big. Um, it's in uh, a little, a little pot. Couldn't be more than, you know, I'm gesturing. Why am I gesturing? Yeah. I couldn't be more than two feet, maybe, a you know, two feet, the pot, uh, it's not even a diameter, so it's square kind of, it's pretty small. Um, and the plant itself is not terribly tall. Again, probably maybe about a, a, a foot from the stock or something, you know, a foot from the soil or something like that. So not oh, well. a ton. And it's not even really high up. Uh, on our balcony. It's, um, you know, on the, the floor of our balcony. So, um, but yeah, the hummingbirds fly in there because we have two other trees uh, outside of our, I live in a condo and, uh, outside there's a magnolia tree right in front. And then another tree, that I don't know what it is, but the one in front is definitely a magnolia, because um, they're always trying to cut it down. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I love that tree, so I'm glad they don't. Um, and uh, the hummingbirds and bees are really attracted to those, so they kind of float over to ours, and we we get a decent amount.
0: Oh, yeah. cool! That's very cool.
1: And actually, we got a uh, we had the doors open the other day, and we got a bee in the house. And oh, so, that's exciting! Yeah, and we actually managed to get it out with a uh, Swiffer extended one of those swiffer sweepers you know that's supposed to be for like dusting ceiling fans uh-huh. we use that to kind of shoo the bee out of the house it took about 10 minutes we managed to uh, do it, uh, yeah managed to do it with keeping the bee alive which is very important so that very was good a it, it, moment of huge pride for me <laughs> yeah i in uh, that
0: uh, you know this this podcast is supposed to be timeless but mm-hmm. it is spring uh right now as we record this and that is a time when bees end up going into people's houses they get confused during this time when they're like uh during swarm season which this is not a podcast about bees but i could totally do one of those oh yeah um, you yeah you, you're but, like a bee
1: guy now right
0: yeah totally i'm a bee keeper nah, yeah uh, but uh but yeah uh they that's it i'm not surprised to say that you hear that you had to be in your house in april
1: Yeah. And we don't have, we have a French door and we have no screens. So it's just, you know, we've actually had a bird come into our house before, (laughs) which Uh is pretty amazing that he flew right out. He or she, whatever the case may be, just flew right out. And, uh, I was really happy to see the bee was really struggling. It was like banging against one of our other windows and it was really hot. It was like 85, 90 degrees the other day when this thing was in there. So it must've been like a magnifying glass on it. And it was, it seemed like it was just losing it and it was, um, just crawling around on the, uh, the windowsill just completely discombobulated. And we managed to shoo it out with a little tough love kind of, uh, scooped it out. And once it flew out the window, finally, it just soared. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a bee get that kind of altitude before. I mean, it really just cleared the trees and disappeared into the horizon. It was absolutely amazing.
0: we're we're off topic on bees now, which is fine. Yes. <laughs> so I have to tell you about
1: a a concept
0: called uh, t- uh, the the bee line. You know, to make a bee line. Yes, that I've actually comes that from bees because really? bees, when when they are ready to fly home, they will always fly in the most direct line to where their hive is. So uh, huh. that's what happened there. Yep, it made a bee line for home.
1: You know what else I like about bees
0: is <laughs> <laughs> welcome to bee bound, a podcast about um uh, no yeah uh, so lavender
1: <laughs> bee bounce not bad yeah lavender well that that's actually um the reason i chose uh lavender was when you suggested I, I choose a plant for this podcast i was just thinking like i'm you know right now that's the only plant we have and which is not true by the way actually I just realized we had a, we have an orchid as well in our kitchen uh but um don't ask me about it because i didn't do any research on orchids <laughs> sure so, okay great so, all right <laughs> yeah 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 no problem um
0: yeah. So what, what, a what about lavender pleases you?
1: I really like the fact that, like I said, it, it, it grew It's something I was actually able to, you know, grow. And whereas a lot of the other plants we've had, haven't done as well. And, um, you know, we tried to grow strawberries about a year ago, which is just genius to do when you have no soil, you know, you just have pots. And we grew the teeniest, tiniest strawberries and they were delicious. They were about, uh, half an inch tall. They were very good though. And so when the lavender finally, uh, bloomed in a couple of months ago, it was just this revelation. I did want to pick a flowering plant specifically, uh, just because like flowering plants, uh, meant a lot to me over the past, you know, not so much when I was a kid, but like, I remember I lived in Scotland in college and it's, Gray or green, there 90% of the year it's just gray and green, just a lot of grass, a uh, lot of rain, a lot of gray, you know, gray concrete, stone, and stuff like that. And then when spring hits, all of a sudden you see all these gardens and you know, in the public fountains and all that stuff, and all the public areas, all of a sudden these flowers bloom in the spring, and it's just all of a sudden this influx of color. This, you know, this uh, it's like all of a sudden it's swimming in color, whereas before it was. You know, very gray and green, like um you know, like a uh gray and green thing. <laughs> uh <laughs> and so um I, I knew I wanted to pick a flowering plant, and like I said, when that lavender popped, I was like, hey, it's like being in Scotland, you know, all of a sudden there's color. Yeah,
0: yeah interesting. I think uh, you know, uh you live in this greater San Diego area and I used to yes, live there somewhere as well, there. And uh the, the concept of spring is kind of a nebulous thing in, in that part of the world. you know, And, uh, and that, that, uh, that amazing burst of color that happens for a short period of time in the spring in a lot of places on the globe is something I think when you grow up in San Diego, you don't really get
1: until you've been somewhere else. And you're
0: like, oh, whoa, that's what spring is. Oh, spring is actually a thing.
1: You can kind of go to like Anza Borrego and get the super blooms and go out to the desert and stuff like that. But really, um, spring in San Diego is not, you know, because we have the May gray, the June gloom. It tends to be a little rainy, tends to be a little cloudy in San Diego. Um, San Diego has got the greatest, probably the greatest on in on average weather in the world, probably, um, you know, but spring is not the, that's not the most beautiful time. Spring in a lot of other places is a lot more appealing because um, uh, I'm also originally from, I was born in Montreal and that's another place too in spring. It's amazing. Like everything just grows and comes alive and everybody really pays a lot of meticulous attention to their their gardens and their yards and it's just not the same in san diego sadly during the uh, spring and so to see to be somewhere where the flowers grow and they bloom and it's a rare thing it's a one time a year thing or twice a year thing that that's pretty special and that's the that's the feeling i get when i look outside also i was <laughs> we we do essential oils like we diffuse essential oils you know like like, mm-hmm. like people do you know um and uh, uh the one we use primarily is lavender so, you asked me, I was looking at my lavender plant and we were diffusing lavender, and I'm like, lavender, it's part of my life.
0: When you are diffusing lavender, is there a reason you chose that as an essential oil to diffuse in your home?
1: Uh, for the most part, we try to do it in the evening because it's supposed to cause a relax. it's supposed to promote relaxation and calming. And actually, I did. Look this up uh, because when I was doing research for this, I tried to do research in a way that would appeal to my interests. So actually, one of the um early proponents of diffusing lavender essential oil was the uh, um the Swiss uh, physician Paracelsus. I don't know if you're familiar with him at all i, I no, I'm not <laughs> okay. Uh, I'll. I am not going to, you know, I am far from an expert. We're, we're not going to segue this show into a discussion on Swiss alchemists and physicians and like pseudo magicians. But you should anyone, I would encourage them to look this guy up. He's a very interesting historical figure um, and one of the er, an early proponent of a lot of different types of medicine and science, kind of a generalist, sort of was like a chemist, a doctor, a philosopher, like uh, really into kind of hermetic uh, hermetic. Um, science you know and like the study of science and the testing of science so uh, but
0: what's it what was this yeah. like uh when did he operate what's uh, i be-
1: r- early 16th century i want to say like the okay. 1500s you know interesting I do i'm that surprised
0: they right? haven't heard about him because uh, oh, i lived man. in switzerland
1: look this guy up it'll blow yeah, your mind paracelsus um, do you have any uh any dazzling
0: details about paracelsus that you can just sprinkle well, on here at the end of this conversation.
1: He's considered the father of toxicology. Um, essentially, like one okay. of his quotes, and I am i actually, I didn't write it down. So, um, but one of his famous quotes is um uh, like, what can be used as a medicine? Uh, like, no, medicine is just a toxin that I'm going to look it up. Hold on a sec. Okay. All right. This is, this is a good uh, one. We'll play some, we'll play some,
0: we'll play some hold music right now.
1: Yeah. oh uh, the dose makes the poison that's one of his famous oh. uh, essentially all things all things are poison and nothing is without poison only the dose makes the thing not a poison so basically yeah. at this point uh, he's credited with the dose makes the poison to say that anything can be good unless you take too much of it then it can be bad you know
0: yeah absolutely yeah. no that's very true um yeah very interesting i uh well no i won't go into that that's for another episode but i've been <laughs> eating a lot of i've been eating a lot of weeds from my yard lately and uh, something i'm thinking about <laughs> but we'll talk about that later
1: <laughs> That sounds safe, uh, you know, for sure. But uh my favorite part of him is his full name, with his, which is I'm gonna be- butcher this, but his full name is actually Philippus Aurelius Theophrastus Bombastus von Hohenheim. So that's his full name, which I you, love. You
0: nailed it. I love that. Yeah. Can you say that again? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm looking it up. Philippus Aurelius Theophrastus Bombastus von Hohenheim. <laughs> Um, the the so. the
0: middle name Bombastus is not used enough anymore.
1: I I, I use it everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. Yeah, not to and, not to spoil anything, but that is a, I have a variant of that name in a lot of video game characters. Oh, okay,
0: wow. Yeah. What about Theophrastus?
1: <laughs> no, go for <laughs> it. Yeah, <laughs> good. Go for it. For fair. So, anyways, what were we saying about Paracelsus? Oh, yes, he was one of the early. Um, and I actually have. Uh, he would have been born in uh, 1494 uh passed away in 1541 in you may know this area uh but it would be um einzel einzelden, einzelden yeah Ein, mm-hmm. yeah einzelden yeah okay so he would have been born there oh wow yeah um so uh but yeah his fascinating character and actually he was recently um here on the Paracelsus podcast, we talk Paracelsus. He was recently played in the TV show, Warehouse 13. I don't know if you've ever seen that show. It was okay. It was anyway, there's a TV show called Warehouse 13. And, um, he was played by, um, Anthony Stewart head Giles from Buffy, the vampire slayer. He was played by him in that show. Okay. Giles, (laughs) the uh, Buffy's teacher from Buffy, the vampire slayer. Anyway. Um, yeah. So he, he apparently recommended back in the day, uh, diffusing the oil of lavender, um, with, um, filtered water in order to, uh, you know, as a sedative, it was basically when steam distillation was developed in that era and it was used to calm excited children. So that's what he recommended it's use for now.
0: Yeah. Very good. Well, I'm glad that you can, that you excited children can calm yourselves every evening, It's very um,
1: important for me to not be an excited child in the evening. Yes. Of the utmost. Um, But yeah, so that's what we we use that for is to promote, you know, to promote relaxation. So, yeah. When things are excitable in the evening.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Don't use too much of that stuff. Uh, No, (laughs) Because it can be
1: poison, as Paracelsus once said. There is an arcanum, or virtue for each thing the art of the doctor
0: is in the arcana the proper dosis makes the difference between a poison and an arcana
1: well thanks for telling me about lavender dave do you mind if i share a plant with you that's what i that's why i'm here really the the lavender thing was just like uh you know it was like a way to get in you know what i mean oh okay so, uh, it i like get the it. password uh, at the door. So,
0: yeah. Well, well, this plant I want to tell you about is is a plant that I only learned of its existence maybe about a year ago, but now I have integrated it into my daily life. Okay. Um, I'm going to start with the uh, Latin name, and you can maybe uh, tell me what you know Seeing as we learned that you you have two years of Latin experience, what two, so what, two quarters?
1: Thank sorry, for... two quarters
0: of Latin experience. Tell me what you think this name means. The name is Elex Vomitoria. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: I I um I actually don't know. Uh, the room, well, Vomitorium Elex was always it, the the room. Um, it wasn't what people thought. Not
0: vomitorium, like, vomitoria.
1: Vomitoria. Okay. Sorry. Actually,
0: I guess it would be sorry. vomitoria.
1: Yes. Because V yes. is a W. So. Elex I'm gonna say,
0: vomitoria.
1: I'm going to say lightning vomit. Lightning so, vomit. So
0: Elex is the uh, genus for the holly family. Okay. So hollies, and vomitoria means causes vomiting.
1: It's <laughs> okay. I was. I was... <laughs> yep. <laughs> I was not too far off. That's yep, great. Yep. Okay.
0: And this is a really interesting plant. Um. It does not cause vomiting. Okay. In fact, I've been drinking a tea of it every day for the past, like, few months. Um,
1: and you have not vomited
0: yet? I have not vomited once. Oh, actually, okay. even yes. for other reasons. So, um, so <laughs> e- Elix vomitoria it's more commonly known as yopon holly, and that is spelled Y-A-U-P-O-N. You might say yopon, but I've heard it mostly pronounced yopon holly. Okay. Um, it is the only plant native to north america that has caffeine in it interesting um okay. and and uh it's, it's a really interesting plant it's a it's a holly it's a holly it's uh, related to yerba mate which is also a holly ah. um there's another kind of uh holly called guayusa that's more in like northern and central america that is also caffeinated that um, shows up and, a
1: lot in like a uh, lot of energy drinks right? right right that, right right yeah yeah yeah
0: um, but uh, but uh, is is kind of unknown and it's really interesting that it, why why would it be? it is a, a caffeinated plant. it's not quite as caffeinated as coffee. maybe it's about mm-hmm. a third the caffeine of coffee, but it's still pretty good and yeah. the only plant that's native. It also grows very well in, in a wide range from Texas up until I live just in the edge of the of the uh, yopon Holly uh, hardiness area and I Wherever did plant is, you live three. On the Eastern seaboard. Virginia area. <laughs> uh, I I did plant three in my garden this year. We'll see how they do. I think it's going to be fine, but they can right. have some frost issues, so we'll see. Um, but so so, yopon was a widely consumed beverage amongst Native Americans going back a very very long time. Um, oh, through through a very large part of the states, and and it's not it's not one hundred percent clear the exact range, but it definitely was consumed outside of its natural range, which means it was traded. So there was trade networks for this plant throughout North America. Uh, in fact, I found a scientific study where they analyzed um, clay pots from Cahokia, which is the mm-hmm. uh, the capital of the Mississippian culture that is near St. Louis, and it, it's, it was the largest um, archaeological site north of Mexico City. Um, All right. So it was like the, the center of like population in um, pre-Columbia area from around 1050 to 1250 AD. And they found evidence of people there drinking Yopon, but yopan comes from quite further away. So mm. really interesting that there is trade networks for this plant. It was apparently a very important plant across many cultures. It was known as the black drink. They would refer mm. to the tree as the beloved tree. Um, and it was apparently very important um, in... in Culturally, all across North America, um, the name Elex vomitoria comes from, there are some accounts of some rituals in some native cultures where there was a purgative ritual where they would drink a black, the black drink and and vomit, yes. but it's not clear that, that it was actually because of this plant. Okay. No one really, you know, there's a bunch of like Europeans show up and they're like, oh, we see these guys doing this. Oh, it has to be this one thing that they drink. Sure. And it got the reputation for for causing it, but no one's actually sure why. And we do know that it doesn't make you vomit. I mean, I drink it all the time. So it could be something else that was in the mixture they made. Some people also theorize that it was just the volume of it they were drinking during a ritual. Because if you drink a lot of something, you will vomit. Um, Or it could just be completely apocryphal. One of of the things that I read that I was interesting is that um, it started being traded to Europe it started being traded to Europe and being sold as Carolina tea or South Sea tea, or in France, it was known as Apalachina, like oh. Appalachian yeah. uh, tea. And um, it was you know, becoming popular because it was very abundant and it was caffeinated and people liked it. It actually has a quite pleasing taste. And there's some, there's actually an article in um, Atlas Obscura, that website. Are you familiar with that website? Yeah. Really cool website. Yeah. yeah. Actually, actually, actually,
1: vaguely. Yeah. Yeah.
0: They're, they're mentioning that the uh, William Aiton, who is the uh, director of Kew Gardens, who who named it Elix Vomitoria, they imply there's not... They're like in the article, like there's no smoking gun, but but it seems strange that he would have called it this, even though I, even, documentation at the time was clear that it didn't cause vomiting even then. And they're like, did the uh, East India Trading Company have something to do with it?
1: Oh. Calling it that because
0: it was a... Such a popular and and grows much easier than than tea Um, and the people in the colonies were drinking and it's also being imported back to England. And they're like, well, let's just call it the vomit drink and then then people keep drinking tea. That that, apparently there's no evidence of that, but there is some documents that the guy who named it should have known better and he still called it that. So anyway, I thought that was um, interesting.
1: Yeah, Um, because you because tea and coffee is grown in a very, very narrow part of the world. You know? Right. So if you can grow something similar to that outside of it, that's pretty potent, you know. Ab- mean,
0: absolutely. And, and we there's have great
1: ev- arable land in the U.S., you know. So it's like if you can grow something, you can grow it here.
0: Yeah. So know, th- there's and there's evidence that when uh, you know Europeans first came to uh, the continent, as soon as they found out about the drink, they started using it. And I have a great quote from uh, Father Jimenez from Saint Augustine, Florida, in 1615 to show just how much and it became part of their life at the monastery. And it says. Yeah. Any day a Spaniard does not drink it, he feels as if he is going to die. <laughs> just, you know, it's just like coffee. It was just like coffee back then to them, because that's how you know. Any day that I do not drink it, I feel as if I'm going to die. Um,
1: do you know what the main? Uh, was it specific to one Native American tribe, or was it fair? Like you said, it was no. Apparently,
0: widespread. it's very widespread. Okay. Apparently, all through well, all through the its its native range. Um, but even outside because trade networks develop, there's some references of it even being tra- traded into Mexico, um, traded up into the Mississippian culture. And a lot of the, the, you know, unfortunately a lot of the, the like real information about how it was used and who used it is not really clear. And even the accounts you can find are all just like stodgy white guys <laughs> saying what they think it, what would happen. And so a lot of the traditional use is not really easy to get your head wrapped around. Um, but it, it shouldn't have been stuck with the name Elex vomitoria. Um,
1: <laughs> that's awful. <laughs> in fact,
0: uh, one of the common names for it, like, was Cassina. That's how it was referred to. Um, okay. And there is actually an Elex cassina, which is a different plant that's, like, mildly caffeinated. So, like, they ended up calling the scientific name a cas- Elex cassina, whereas Elex vomitoria should have been called Elex cassina because that's how it was called back then. It was called Casina, but they decided to call it El- Elix Vomitoria, and then they gave the Casina to a different plant. Jeez, I, so you know,
1: yeah. if there's one thing I've discovered, even from listening to your show, too, is a lot of the time the names make no sense. And even sometimes it's almost like they're ironic, you know, or, sure, or opposite, yeah. you know, like yeah. saying, you know, Little John, you know, and from Robin Hood, he's actually a big guy. Yeah. You know, so it's just sort of funny, like how that works out. I'm going to
0: take it like that. I'm going to start thinking that Elix Vomitoria was just ironic. (laughs) And it's like, it was like calling a fat guy tiny. It's like, oh yeah, that's the vomit drink. It doesn't make you vomit at all. Um, (laughs) Exactly. There you go. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So interestingly though, it, it did have popularity in the U S at, at a few different times in history. Um, during the, you know, pre civil war, it was quite popular, um, Amongst poorer people, and because it was so common, and and because of that, it became like it became déclassé amongst mm-hmm. the rich people because it was too common. They would prefer to import their coffee and their tea, which was more expensive, because when you're rich, you don't want to just like eat, yeah. drink what all the poor people are having. Until it had like a res- hundred
1: years later, right? Then it becomes right. <laughs> the rich people' food. <laughs> totally, <laughs> you know. So um
0: it had a resurgence during the civil war amongst soldiers because coffee was hard to find. So they were drinking a lot. But then I guess after the civil war, it started being associated with the pain of the civil war. And so it fell out of fashion when coffee started becoming available again. They're like, we don't want to drink this thing we're drinking out there. Um, so it, it, it kind of has a uh, kind of like died away. I guess there's some evidence that it was also got a little bit more popularity during world war two in some places in the South when people couldn't get coffee, but there's a bush in your backyard, but then you can make it. Um, but it's starting to get a little of a bit of resurgence now, and so when I learned about it a year ago, I was like, I want some, so I, I bought some online. There's a few different places where it's um, people who are harvesting it. And Most of the places that do it have found these areas where it's growing wild, and it can be sustainably harvested from the wild, so it's not replacing, you know, n- you know, uh, it's not replacing natural land with a monoculture right. of something like tea or coffee. It's growing wild within its native habitat. And it's quite abundant. It's just the leaves. It's not like it's the berry, so it's quite easy to harvest and easy to do it um, sustainably, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So that's why I planted some of my own because you know someday hopefully I'll have my own uh, personal supply of caffeine. Um, one thing that's really interesting about it in certain places, particularly I think in Florida and Georgia and things like that, it's our super common landscaping shrub. Interesting. So it's All apparently right. everywhere. And it's kind of ironic that the uh, and they mentioned this in the obscure uh, the obscure article that you know people will be walking to their coffee shop by this row and row of plants that are just <laughs> free caffeine there for you. but it's now just a we just think of it as a decorative plant and and have forgotten its use um,
1: yeah, this, uh, that's a that's a pretty frequent thing is forgetting what these you know plants were originally used for that's a that's a pretty frequent thing, I think that um you know that, Um, it's, it's one thing that I've always been a supporter of is kind of looking back to the history of what, you know, alchemists, herbalists and doctors used and, you know, lavender, I talked about earlier, not to go back to it, but it was a a lot of different times used as, um, used in medicine, you know, it was Mm -hmm. used to dress wounds and to clean wounds and stuff like that in Roman times and even during World War II. So I feel like there's like, we're, you know, because, uh, science right now is so, Good at doing things, at healing and at fixing things. We're forgetting some of those old cure, you know, those old cures that maybe are a little bit more gentle, and Mm -hmm, maybe there's a mm -hmm. lot of validity to those old wives' tales and stuff like that. Yeah, um, yeah.
0: And there's just this whole like interesting thing here where it's like the market pressures of a of a you know a capitalist system that's based on exporting, importing, and exporting from from a new continent. You don't make money by exporting a thing that is super super common right yeah that's um, true and yeah. so tea and coffee and sugarcane and various things tobacco those tobacco, things became yeah. more yeah. important because they're they're a bit more rare and this this plant was just kind of lost even though it was kind of the you know it was the it was the sole source of caffeine for this whole continent for for a very very long time and now we, everyone who lives on this continent most people don't even know it is so i thought that was yeah i've very never heard of it and, Never. You should get some. It's very tasty. Um, yeah. The most common preparation is they you, they take the leaves and they're toasted, so it's like roasty flavor, right. and uh, you brew it just like tea. Um, it's it doesn't have any of the bitterness of yerba mate, which is really nice. Like I am mm-hmm. okay with the yerba mate, but it's a little bit too bitter for me. This is very yeah. smooth, particularly yeah. when it's roasted. Like like uh, is the traditional way to do it, and the cool thing is, even though it is about the third of caffeine of coffee i generally will use the same leaves three times and mm. it actually you know the third cup is a little bit weaker oh, the first yeah, two yeah. cups are pretty are pretty good though and so drink three times volume and i'm getting probably about the same as a cup of coffee but doing it over a longer period of day so my it's my ritual to now is i have coffee in the morning but then the rest of the day i'm drinking yopan so that's what that's what i'm doing
1: So that's that's really cool. I always thought uh, coffee caught on in the US because it was just um, everything in a lot of early US um, culture and society seemed to just be like to like be anti-British. So I always kind of felt like us being so into coffee instead of tea had a lot to do with like being, you know, now we're America, we drink Coffee, not tea, you know? Yeah. Well, we're going to drop that those use out of our language. We're American. But
0: but, <laughs> but of course we won't drink the thing that's actually native to where we're from. No. <laughs> that's for you poor people.
1: Well, we still have barons to make happy. I mean, really, right. you know? Yeah. It's going to be capitalist, right? Um, but uh, yeah, I'm going to check that out. So it's like fairly easy to find. or you find Yeah, it online, there's like a, there's a like handful. All, you know?
0: there's a handful of companies who are selling it it's i haven't seen it in a store anywhere yet um, i've heard that's starting to happen but there's a handful of companies if you just search for yopon tea there's a handful of companies selling it online and, and you know each one has their uh, own little story about how they get it in their process and so you can find ones where they've you know mixed it with other flavors and they've gotten more fancy um, so it's it's available but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it started showing up in some like stores and cafes now because it's quite good um mm-hmm. And it's, you know, I think it's the businesses are doing it. It's relatively cheap, but, you know, I think their markup is decent. I think it's a good little business and it's sustainable, you know, like it's sustainable because you can harvest it without damaging the landscape, but you also don't have to import something from thousands of miles away and have the whole like carbon footprint of importing coffee from really far away. So I'm not, I'm not uh planning on stopping drinking coffee because I love yeah. coffee, but yeah. I am reducing my coffee to something that is, you know more locally adjusted and I really like it it's really nice I can't wait for you know I've only been really drinking it for the last few months but apparently I test this once but it does apparently make a very nice iced tea so I'm gonna Ah, be doing that this summer when it gets really stupid hot like it does here in northern Virginia (laughs) Um, I'm gonna be making some good iced iced tea from it so that's that's also my plan Paracelsus achieves a great insight he understands now that man and the universe were chemically related Man derives from matter, and matter is the universe. When a man eats bread, he eats the stars. Man is the stars. Thanks, Paracelsus. I completely agree. Now, astute listeners of Rootbound might notice that there are some references to time in the previous episodes that might seem a little bit, uh, old. Um, and well, that's because I recorded the majority of, uh, these interviews, uh, in April and May of 2020. As I'm recording this now, it's, uh, early 2022. So nearly two years ago, I recorded this stuff and, uh, and I'm now I'm putting it out here and, and, uh, I wanted to address that. I wanted to address something that I've had the thought about this show, which is I'm trying not to make overt references to time, except for right now, um, because I want the show to to be evergreen, so to speak. (laughs) Um, Plant pun. But since those uh, previous interviews recorded so long ago, and now we're moving into a new um, era of Rootbound, I thought it'd be a nice... Point to kind of mark that in the in the sand, and and uh, acknowledge the kind of difference in in the production between then and now. But going forward, the interviews will be much more timely. Um, but yeah, I, why did it take me two years to to publish these interviews? I don't know. Maybe maybe this podcast got a little root bound on its own. But now I feel the the show has been moved to a larger container. The roots have been spread out. And the podcast can become the show that it wants to be. So, thank you for, for, for being with me for these last five episodes. We've got new episodes coming up, being recorded and going to be put out about weekly, is what I say. And, uh, and yeah, thank you for joining me on this Rootbound adventure. My guest on today's episode of Rootbound was David Lonnie. David is a voice actor and the man behind the fake ads you hear at the top of every episode. Rootbound is hosted by this guy right here, Steve Allington. Music by Christian Kriegeskota. Fake ads, as I said, by Dave Lenny, that guy. Rootbound is a podcast about plans for when you're stuck inside. And hopefully, we're not always stuck inside. Hopefully, we have a chance to spread our roots a little bit every now and then. Um, but if you can't, Keep coming back. Listen to the podcast. We really appreciate you.
1: Try Scarlet Begonias. Buy now and get a touch of the blues at no extra charge. This is an offer that you'd have to learn the hard way to let pass by.